This morning's scripture will be coming from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Again, that's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It reads, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his, mer- in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Good morning and welcome again. We're so glad that you're with us today. Got a good number here, and for that we're grateful. We've got a lot of visitors and appreciate so much you coming our way. We trust that you will be encouraged by our service together. We hope and pray that if you are looking for a church home, that you would consider the work here. We would love to have you come and be a part of our family. We're so thankful for those that have joined hands with us recently and become a part of this body. We pray that God will use us in a great way to help expand his kingdom. I do want to just very quickly say that Two weeks ago on Sunday night, Anna Now was here for our worship service, and Anna later texted Jared and asked to be restored, said that she had been contemplating her life in light of some of the things that were said that night, and so she desires to be restored, and so that we're, so for that we're very, very grateful. I talked to Thomas on Monday, the following Monday and told him how proud we were of her, and our prayers are with her and with her family, and we just want to encourage her any way that we can. We're going to be looking in our lesson today at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. We're going to be talking together about hope for the future. I wish I could stand before you today and tell you what the future holds. The only problem is I can't do that. Many times we try to forecast what things are going to be like economically and in other areas of life. Sometimes we hit it, sometimes we don't. Many of us are concerned about the direction of our country. We wonder what life's going to be like here in America. In 25 years, 50 years, etc., if the Lord delays His coming. The bottom line is we just don't know what the future holds. We do know who holds the future, and that is God. The Bible tells us that God is sovereign and that He is reigning on His throne today. The psalmist said in Psalm 99, the Lord reigns. And so for that, we're grateful. It may be the case that in your life, Things are bleak. And maybe from your vantage point, you don't see any hope for the future. What I want you to understand is that in Christ, there is always hope. There's always hope for the future because there are better days coming. Furthermore, there is a better place coming. And Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 1. So I want to Call attention to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 today. And I want to begin by talking about the guarantor 
of our inheritance. And that would be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The basis for our hope for the future rests upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When we talk about the resurrection of Christ, the implications are far-reaching. And so Peter's going to talk about the basis for our hope for the future. Listen to him in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Many years ago, there was an empty tomb. God's Son rose from the dead. The Bible talks about the resurrection. And I think, first of all, about the proof of the resurrection of Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, Luke tells us in verse 3 that Jesus showed himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Did you know that there were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about those who had the opportunity to see firsthand the Son of God. He mentions Cephas, the disciples. He said that above 500 brethren at once saw him. And then he makes mention of James and the other apostles. Paul also includes himself among that number. There was viable proof for the resurrected Christ. We talk about the eyewitnesses, the evidence, and then that great exclamation by Thomas in the long ago. Thomas, as you recall, had the opportunity to examine the body of the resurrected Jesus. His response was, my Lord and my God. What about the power of the resurrection of Jesus? Did you know that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 4? When we talk about Christianity, it really hinges upon the resurrection. It either stands or falls on the basis of an empty tomb. Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, broke the bonds of death. The Hebrew writer tells us that He destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil, Hebrews chapter 2, in about verse 14. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when the apostle Paul writes concerning the resurrection and the validity of the resurrection. He points out that if Christ has not been resurrected from the dead, then our preaching is vain, our faith is vain. And he said, we're still in sin. The bottom line, if Jesus has not been resurrected, we're out of luck. We're without hope. And yet we're talking about the basis of our hope for the future. The basis of that hope, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then what about the preaching of the resurrect, resurrected Jesus? 
Did you know that the book of Acts emphasizes to us that the apostles heralded the resurrected Jesus? In Acts chapter 2, the very first sermon preached in Jerusalem on Pentecost Day. The Bible tells us that Peter indicted those who were present. He said, by lawless hands you have taken Jesus and crucified him. But he said, God raised him from the dead. In Acts chapter 3, in about verse 15, Luke tells us that the apostle Peter, in his second recorded sermon, said, you killed the prince of life, but God raised him from the dead. In chapter 4, verse 2, it was said of Peter and John that they preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so, our hope for the future rests on this great truth. Take it away, and we're nothing. We have no hope. So, the guarantor of our hope for the future. And then, what about the glories of our inheritance? We talk about the guarantor of our inheritance, but what about the glories of our inheritance? Listen, if you would, to what Peter says in verse 4. Peter said, We have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Think about this for a minute. When we talk about heaven, first and foremost, you need to understand it will never be destroyed. You can go back in history and read about some of the great empires, kingdoms, that have risen to great heights, later to fall. Go back in history and read about the Assyrians. You can also read about the Babylonian kingdom and their great power, Nebuchadnezzar, and the power that he welded in his day. And then the great Grecian Empire. The Babylonian kingdom gave way to the Grecians, and then the Grecians gave way to the Roman kingdom. So all these kingdoms, what happened to them? Well, at one time they were very prominent. Where are they today? Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. When we talk about this eternal heavenly kingdom, when we talk about heaven itself, we have to understand it will never be destroyed. Peter said it is incorruptible. He said it does not fade away. Imagine that. Hard to believe that one day we'll be in a place that will remain intact forevermore. And so, first of all, heaven is never going to be destroyed. And then secondly, it's never going to be defiled. Listen again to what he says. We have an inheritance. It's incorruptible and undefiled. Not so with the world in which we live. When I step back and think about the beauty of heaven, the glory of heaven, the opportunity to live forevermore in the presence of God, I need to understand that heaven is a place that will never be subverted by Satan. Why is that? 
Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, that the devil will have a place in a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. The work of the devil will be over. The devil will be destroyed in that lake of fire. He will be cast into that lake of fire. And we do battle with the devil every day. But when we get to that heavenly city, that's all beyond, all behind us. Never again will we have to battle the devil. And then I think about the fact heaven will never be stained by sin. It's amazing to me to watch the news every night. Amazing the number of murders that are committed in this city, in this Mid-South area every day. The crimes, the rampant crime by young and old alike. The vandalism, the thefts, the rapes. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. We talk about all the things that occur on a daily basis on planet Earth, and yet in that heavenly city, there will be none of that. John tells us in Revelation chapter 21 at verse 27 that there will be nothing in that heavenly city that defiles, that makes an abomination, or that is a lie. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life so Satan, he's gone, sin behind us. And then heaven will be a place that will not be scarred by suffering. I want you to think a minute about all of the suffering that's so common to us here on planet Earth. Some of you that are here today are battling serious illnesses. Some of you live in chronic pain. Some of you are hurting because of the loss of a loved one. Some are hurting because of some tragedy that you've been dealing with. And we live in a world that is replete with human suffering. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Be wonderful to live in a world where we weren't touched the trials and tribulations of life, but it is a reality. And yet to know that one day we can be in a land where we will be free from all of that. Can you imagine? Living in a land where you will never again experience the loss of a loved one because John said death will be no more. There won't be any more tears in that heavenly land. Some of you may have shed tears this past week because of some turmoil in your family, some trial that you are experiencing that has been ongoing. There are folks that cry in this world every day. Some cry themselves to sleep at night, and yet... In that land, there won't be any tears. And here's what John said in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, there will be no more pain. You can bank on that. In this world, we have pain. And sometimes that pain literally brings us to our knees. And yet in that land, 
What John is telling us is there will be no more pain. There will be no more chemo. There will be no more radiation. There will be no more surgeries. There will be no more open graves. All of that will be done away. So you think about this heavenly land, this inheritance that we have before us. Is there hope for the future? Yes. We talk about the blessings of our hope for the future. We have hope. There are a lot of folks in the world today, they have no hope. Those who are outside of Christ. Paul said they are living without hope. And the reason is because they don't have God. They're without hope and without God in this world. Ephesians 2 at verse 12. The difference maker is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because in Ephesians 2.13, Paul said, But now in Christ Jesus, you that once were far off are brought near by the blood of Christ. So the blood of Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to enjoy a relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ. It provides for us an escape from sin and unrighteousness. There's a third thing I want to share with you very quickly, and that has to do with the guards of our inheritance. Pick up with me in verse 5. Peter said, Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Who are the guards of our salvation? What's the bridge of hope for the future? On the one hand... There is God. On the other hand, there is us. How do I know that? Well, listen again to what he said. Who are kept by the power of God. Step back and read through the New Testament. All the great promises of God that are related to eternal life. Do you remember Jesus? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus here saying to people of all ages that there is an eternal abiding place awaiting us. The Bible tells us that we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 25, John tells us that we have the quality of life defined as eternal. Can I trust in the promises of God? Absolutely. The basis upon which I have hope for the future, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the fact that when God speaks, He means it. Every promise outlined in Scripture backed up by, by a loving God. So we have hope for the future. Unlike a lot of people, what we're trying to do is encourage people who are outside of Christ to enjoy the blessings of hope. I mentioned a moment ago that we're kept by the power of God. That's His part. Through faith, that's our part. We have to, we have to keep on keeping on, don't we? Drop down, look at verse 9. Peter's writing to people who are suffering for their faith. So in verse 9 he said, Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
Jesus said that we're to be faithful unto death. That is, even in the face of death, we are to be faithful to Almighty God. The promise is the crown of life, the Stephanos, the victor's crown. So do we face trials and tribulations and difficulties? Do we suffer in this life? Yes, we do. But we do so not without hope, but in hope. We have hope for the future. I mentioned a moment ago, I don't know what the future holds, but I know this, as a child of God, I have hope for the future. I can't tell you what's going to happen to this country in 50 years. I have no idea. We can speculate. We can forecast, but the bottom line is we just don't know. When it comes to the promises of God, we can bank on those promises. They are sure. What's it going to be like when we step outside this world into eternity? What about for a child of God? Paul talked about it in Philippians chapter 1. In verse 21 he said, For to me to live is Christ. That's the summation of his life. It was all about Christ. But he said, to die is gain. In verse 23, he said, to depart and be with Christ is far better. John writes, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their, from their labors and their works do follow them. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 14. So there is hope for the future. What's it going to be like, though? What's it going to be like when we step out into eternity? When I was just a young fella, one of my best friends lived two doors down from me. His oldest brother won the state championship in high jump in the state of Tennessee. I remember going to his house after his brother had won the state championship. His dad had taken a sheet, a white sheet, and on that white sheet, he used shoe polish, I believe. And he wrote the words, Welcome home, state champ. And he hung that in the living room. So when you walked in the front door, the first thing you saw was this big banner that said, Welcome home, state champ. When we step out into eternity, isn't it comforting to know We'll step out into the arms of the loving God who can say to us, Welcome home, champ. Welcome home, son. I've been waiting on you. One day we're going home. And those of us who are Christians, we have hope, hope that is unlike any hope this world has to offer. When you step out into eternity, will God say to you, welcome home to Christ? Here's what you need to do. We're reading from the book of 1 Peter. On Pentecost Day, Peter told people that were present on that occasion, those who believed in Jesus, repent. That's a mandate. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. When you obey the gospel, God will forgive whatever is in your past. Doesn't matter what you've said. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you've been. You may have the idea that you are 
beyond hope. I want you to understand you're not beyond hope. That is the devil's lie. There is hope. That hope is in Christ. When you come to Jesus and obey the gospel, God will then put you in his family called the church, Acts 2.47. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the Savior of the body, Ephesians 5.23. Once we become a child of God, we enjoy all these great spiritual blessings, one of which is eternal life. If you're here today and you do not have hope, I'm talking about hope for the future. Why not today be baptized into Christ? If you're here, your life's not what it ought to be. Could I encourage you to come home? Let me just tell you very quickly about a friend of mine. Years ago, matter of fact, the year I started college, sitting in worship services Easter Sunday, a fellow goes forward, the preacher stops the service, and he said, We've got a fella here today, hasn't been to church in five years, and wants to be restored. That guy today, a gospel preacher. You can change. You can make that change as we stand and sing.